we're thankful today as a church. Uh, take your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 15 as we're back uh, in a sermon series uh, that we took a one-week hiatus from uh, last week uh, to cover uh, some uh, principles or lessons for abiding in Christ. Uh, we had this testimony come in from Rachel, uh, shared with her permission. Uh, she writes this regarding last Sunday's sermon. Uh, thank you for the message on following, coming, and abiding in Christ. I found myself needing rest for my weary soul and truly abiding in Christ over these past several weeks since my son's leukemia diagnosis. It's been a good course correction for me. I know mentally I have no control over life circumstances, but I have been demonstrating a life that believes I do have control. Anyone else do that? I need to guard against that and abide in Jesus. He has been so good to me. Isn't the Lord good? In the midst of life challenges, and uh, last Sunday, uh, man, what, a, what an important time just to start the summer with those four principles. Slow down. Delight in little things. Develop sacred rhythms. And abide in Jesus. So important to start the summer off. Uh, slowing down. Developing sacred rhythms, delighting in little things, and abiding in Jesus. And we are thankful today for folks like Rachel. And uh, man, God is doing a good work in people's hearts here, okay? Uh, we hear it all the time. And, and today, as we go into this course correction uh, on priorities, let me, let me just uh, stop and say, uh, every single one of us needs a message to check our priorities to make sure they're in line with eternal things, don't we? Uh, you know, uh, between you and the Lord, what area of your life that you need a heart check on when it comes to your priorities and where your priorities are out of whack. But here is the 22nd message in 1 Corinthians. The 22nd message on course corrections. And, and here's a list of some of the course corrections that we've covered, in, including divisions among believers, grieving the spirit, spiritual immaturity. Uh, you can read the list all the way down to responding to unfair treatment, starting in chapter 10, overcoming temptation, submission and worship, proper use of spiritual gifts, lacking love, order in the church, and correction on the resurrection. Uh, the last Sunday I was here before I came back from sabbatical was Easter Sunday, and we actually jumped ahead to start 1 Corinthians 15 uh, and to deal with this topic of the resurrection. And, and, the, and the message that Sunday was this. Some say the resurrection is fake news. By the way, if the resurrection is fake news, we got some serious problems. And that's what Paul talks about. Some say the resurrection is fake news, but then he says, but listen, Christ is in fact risen bodily, and so shall we. That was the start of 1 Corinthians 15. My friend, that news should radically reorient our priorities. Come on, you guys. I, that, I mean, the news of a living Savior who's risen from the dead, that news sent shockwaves around the universe, and it shook the ground, and it actually raised the dead. I mean, this is news that should reorient our priorities to eternal things. But, man, so many people live like the resurrection is fake. And we're not talking just people of the world. We're talking actually people that claim to follow Christ. There's a lot of people in the church of Jesus Christ who just simply live like the resurrection just doesn't matter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and our resurrection. And this is what Paul is going to get to here is this reorienting our priorities. Here, listen, pay attention, us in vacation land. 
Those of us in vacation land need a really big heart check when it comes to priorities because how quickly we are prone to allowing the priorities of this earth to trump the priorities of eternity. A poll was taken not long ago among de-church people, and, and uh, you guys hopefully know by now that we live in a region uh, where it is, uh, we are number 14 in the nation among the de-church population in the entire United States. But a poll was taken among the de-church people that uh, basically asked the questions, why is it that you left the local church? The top two answers among de-church people, and, and these are folks that you know as well, de-church people like your neighbors, de-church people in northern Michigan, all around this area who at one time were committed to the local church but have since left and they're no longer a consistent part of any church fellowship. The top two answers for why people left the local church is that church is irrelevant and it's boring. It's irrelevant and it's boring. My friend, that is an indictment on the spirit of our age, isn't it? In fact, I would just make it very applicable to Northern Michigan. It is an indictment of the Northern Michigan culture, that we live in a culture where basically people are like, you know what, God is irrelevant. You know what, church is boring. And as a result of that, you're considering the things of God irrelevant and boring, our priorities shift to simply focusing upon earthly things. Have you ever heard of uh, the man, uh, New York Times uh, op-ed article guy? Uh, his name is David Brooks. Have you ever heard of him? Here's a guy. Uh, his recent book called The Second Mountain. Uh, David Brooks kind of talks about his quest for seeking after God, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he makes the analogy to climbing two different mountains. He says all of us, uh, almost by default, are prioritize climbing the first mountain. And that first mountain is a pursuit of success. It's a pursuit of wealth. It's a pursuit of pleasure. And what we all find is that when we crest the top of that first mountain of success and pleasure and, and, and wealth, we find that it leaves us empty. And so in Brooks' terminology, he says the key to finding that significance of life is actually to crest or to climb the second mountain. And in his words, he kind of describes the second mountain in four ways. It's a pursuit. Uh, it's about faith, and it's about uh, your community. It's, it's about, uh, it's about uh, family. And so he, he kind of centers it on four different principles. But my friend, listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, it is our faith in a resurrected Savior that informs all the rest of our lives lives. It's faith in a risen Savior that leads to significance in life. And it is the quest of the second mountain that Brooks talks about that Paul, in his language here, is going to tell us to reorient our lives, to reorient our priorities to things that truly matter. So let me ask you again. What area of your life do you need a heart check when it comes to your priorities? Where in the midst of your time and resources would you say, you know what, I, I need a course correction when it comes to uh, prioritizing my life around the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Number one point today, uh, Paul is going to get right to it in the midst of verse 32, is many are drunk on today. Many are drunk on today. He's going to use the language of uh, drunkenness in just a few moments. But in verse 32, uh, he begins by saying this, verse 32, 
He says, if the dead are not raised, and then he quotes a saying of the time, uh, namely, if if the dead are not raised, if there is no resurrection, then, then this is kind of how we should live. This is what the culture says. Read it with me. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Live and let live. If this is all there is, should we not just do whatever we want? This is what Paul is saying. If the dead are not raised, then we should simply give to, over to unrestrained choices. It is, if you checked out, now's a good time to check in. It is that type of thinking that intoxicates the bloodstream of northern Michigan. Good people. I'm not talking about really bad people. I'm just talking good people. Some of us here today are influenced by this thinking. By the way, it's, it's in the air we breathe. This is, this is a culture we live in. It's almost impossible not to be affected by this type of attitude. That chalks up the resurrection as irrelevant. This is a message for the church. If today is all there is, throw caution to the wind. Uh, you know, the fastest growing religion in America It's not Christianity, it's not Islam, it's the fastest growing religion, according to census data, is the nuns, not N-U-N, the N-O-N-E. The people that check no religious affiliation whatsoever. These are not bad people, they're not opposed to God, they're not opposed to the faith, it's simply that they just don't care. Even many in the church live like this. Why? Because God is irrelevant and God is boring. It's people like the Smiths who are neighbors of yours or people like the Johnsons who are coworkers of yours who prioritize a, a, a good-sized nest egg retirement and they prioritize leisure and recreation. They're not bad people, my friend. They're just simply not interested in things of the faith. And it's, this is the culture that we live in. Because if there is no resurrection, let us eat and drink because guess what? Tomorrow we die. There's a fascinating article that just came out a couple weeks ago written by Russell Moore. And this article was called, Is Apathy More Dangerous Than Atheism? And and in this article, he lists what he calls the apathiest creed, that is, people that are apathetic. Uh, He kind of made up the word. But the apathiest creed basically says this, God might exist, he might not. There might be a judgment day and there might not. Oh, well. That is the apathiest creed. It is the posture of northern Michigan that lives like verse 32. If there is no resurrection, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It is not that folks in northern Michigan are largely atheists. It's not that people necessarily oppose the existence of God. It is the fact that we are apathiest. We are simply bored by the irrelevance of God. I just, let me pause right here. Is, is this resonating? Or? Because, okay, that's good. Because I could leave and just call it quits right now. But not only unrestrained choices, 
Uh, Paul talks about unhealthy friends. Do you have any? This is a, th- this is a, a, a progression of thought. He, if there is no resurrection, let's eat and drink and because tomorrow we die. And guess what? If you're going to live by that lifestyle, you're going to surround yourself with people that are really bad influences. So Paul says, verse 33, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Here it is. Bad company ruins good morals. Every teenager is like, yeah, my parents have told me that. (laughs) And guess what? When I was a teenager, my parents told me that. I hate to say it, but my parents were right. Motivational speaker Jim Rohn is probably the first one that came up with this statement. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Whether that is true or not, uh, what we know is true is what the Bible says. Bad company corrupts good character. And if the five people that you spend the most time with or the three people you spend the most time with are corrupt in nature, guess what? It is going to have a significant effect on your life. In May, uh, I saw a a news uh, title flash across Fox News and it was, um, it, the news title said this. He eats your soul in small bites. It was, you don't need names. It was one politician talking about another politician. And he said, he eats your soul in small bites. And when I read that, I thought, man, isn't that true? Isn't that the influence of unhealthy friends? They eat your soul in small bites, little by little, until they consume all of your integrity. And Paul's like, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Some friends in the language of Facebook and Insta, what's that one called? There you go. Some friends need to be unfriended and unfollowed. Not just on social media. So take it to heart. Uh, because this is why the Bible uh, speaks to us. It speaks to us for very practical reasons. Is there somebody in your life that you simply are negatively influenced by and that you need to take an action today to begin to distance yourself from them to live honorable before the Lord? Verse 34. Uh, Many are still under this title. Many are drunk on today. Verse 34, Paul addresses it very directly. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Isn't it fascinating? Paul is not actually talking about alcohol in this passage, but he likens our decisions of poor priorities to a drunken stupor. We all know what a drunken stupor is like. We all know either by personal experience or by watching somebody who's in a drunken stupor. Isn't it true that those who are influenced by alcohol to a drunken state regularly make poor decisions? True? Paul says, in light of this whole thing of of bad priorities and poor priorities, he's like, listen, my friends, wake up from your drunken stupor. Don't keep going down that path and don't continue in your sin. Misplaced priorities have a controlling and intoxicating effect. In other words, be very careful the direction that you're heading and what you are chasing in life. 
saw a fascinating documentary. I would have never watched it because I don't even know who these people are, although I guess I've heard of them. Have you ever heard of the Jonas Brothers? I don't really know the Jonas Brothers. The reason I watched it is because I read the description of this documentary called Chasing Happiness, and it said that these three brothers are the sons of a New Jersey pastor. I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder how they got from there to wherever they were at. And so not knowing anything about the Jonas Brothers, I watched this documentary about their meteoric rise to fame and then eventually their resentment and bitterness uh, in clashing with each other and their dispersing as a band. Uh, and apparently they're like back together again. Wow, wow, it's amazing, right? But right in the midst of this movie, these three sons of pastor say this about chasing happiness. It says, it always felt like success can go away in the blink of an eye. That's why we did every interview, every meet and greet. We really never said no to the point of exhaustion. My whole life, I've been so concerned with success. I felt like there was a screwdriver in my head all the time saying, you have to be successful, you have to chase a dream, you have to get the number ones and all that. This documentary showed their pursuit of happiness and guess what? They climbed the first mountain, and what did they find? It was empty. Along the way, they made missteps and misplaced priorities, but it was like a screwdriver in the head, an exhausting pursuit of something that doesn't satisfy. And Paul, here in this chapter, is saying, listen, if there is no resurrection... Well, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And Oh, and by the way, it's time to wake up, church. Wake up from the drunken stupor and get our priorities straight. Is this, is this resonating still? Okay. So many are drunk on today, and number two, and, and we forget where we are headed. Uh, we forget where we're headed. Paul is going to go into this whole big uh, 20 verses or so about our present mortality and our future glory. Let me summarize 20-some verses by saying this <laughs> in the words of Anne Lamott. Here's what Anne says. A hundred years from now, all new people. Paul's like, hey, listen, many people are just drunk on today and they forget where we're headed. They forget our present mortality. Our present mortality, here's what Paul says, words that Paul uses during these 20 verses. It dies, earthly bodies, perishable, dishonor, weakness, natural, man of dust, flesh and blood, mortal body. This is how he describes our current existence. That is, we are frail, aren't we? Life is so short. For those who are drunk on today, Paul says, listen, the, the party's going to stop. The music's going to stop. Life will end. We are mortal beings. In his book, Wartime, uh, Paul Fussell, I, I love how he frames this. He talks about how young men who go into combat uh, often go through three stages uh, as they recognize their mortality. The first stage as a young man goes into combat is this. It can't happen to me. That is death. It can't happen to me. I'm too clever. I'm too agile. I'm too good looking, etc. And then a bullet goes by. Stage two. It can happen to me. I better be more careful. And then they get a close call. 
Stage three, it is going to happen to me and only my not being there is going to prevent it. I think we all go through those three stages, by the way. I think the teenager, if you're a teen, very common, I think I was like this, most of us were like this, I think the teenager thinks about mortality like this, it can't happen to me, I'm too young, right? And then you reach your 42nd birthday, like Corey and I did this past week, life is half over. You know what, it can happen to me. I should at least think about it. And then you reach maybe your elderly years and your post-retirement and, you're saying, and you begin to think, you know what? It is going to happen. And I better prepare to meet the Lord. It reminds me of what Andy Rooney said. Do you remember Andy Rooney, the great theologian? <laughs> Life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Mortal, we are perishable, we are frail. Our mortality. And some people forget that. Some people forget that. Paul likens it to uh, our bodies, that is, uh, to kernel, uh, to a kernel or seeds. Um, you, you take this, uh, for instance. Uh, Jamie, can you come up here? Yeah, just hold out your hand. There you go. Paul says that's kind of what your life is like right there, your body. Thank you. You can go sit down. Uh, Why why don't you plant that in the ground? Okay. Paul likens it to that. Our, Our bodies are like kernels or like seeds. But something fascinating happens with those seeds that I just gave Jamie. Is that if you plant those in the ground, eventually you'll come out with this. And Paul says the body is like that. It has to be planted in the ground where it dies, and then all of a sudden, guess what? It springs to new life. And this is the imagery that Paul uses of the resurrection, is that currently we are like kernels or seeds, and one day these kernels or these seeds, which are frail and mortal, will be buried in the ground. But guess what? There is a coming new life. There's a coming resurrection. And some people forget this. And this is what Paul says in verse 42 as he makes that analogy between the kernel and the seed and between the spiritual bodies and heavenly bodies and all these different types of bodies. Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Listen, the whole context of this is some people say that there is no resurrection. If that's true, then eat and drink for tomorrow we die and get bad friends and make poor judgments. But listen, my friend, there is such a thing as the resurrection from the dead. It happened with Jesus Christ who is called the first Adam. It one day will happen with us at the end of all time. And this is what Paul talks about, the future glory. Here it is, the future glory. In these 20 verses, he uses this language. Uh, Next one, the future glory. Uh, It is raised, heavenly bodies, imperishable glory, power, spiritual of heaven. We shall be changed and the mortal shall put on immortality read at many funerals, read at many gravesides about that coming day of resurrection hope. Paul is putting a glimpse to the future destiny of all of humanity when the dead in Christ shall rise. 
It calls to mind the four big worldview issues. The four big worldview issues. You don't have to be a Christian to process these things. You might be here as an atheist or an agnostic or, or just an apathist. You simply are kind of like you don't really care, but you're not opposed to it. But the four big worldview questions are these. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Stop for a moment and consider this. Origin, where did we come from? <laughs> meaning, what is life all about? Morality, how do we distinguish between right and wrong? And here it is, destiny. Where is all of this going? Can I give you the biblical hope? Here it is. Biblical hope is verse 51. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. That's the biblical hope of the resurrection. And some people will say, well, what is that resurrection body going to look like it's a mystery now you can go back to the first john chapter 3 passage it is somewhat a mystery even though paul gives us some language first john chapter 3 says this that we are god's children now and read this next part with me what we will be that's it what we will be that is what is coming at the resurrection has not yet appeared but 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 we know that when christ appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There's coming a day of resurrection hope. But some people are drunk on today and some people forget where we're headed and they disregard our present mortality and they don't understand the fact of this future glory. But for those of us who have Christ, we have hope. We have hope. Look at verse 54 and 55. Uh, this is the climactic end for the believer, the biblical hope of resurrection. Uh, verse 4, 54 and 55 says this. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then at that moment shall come to pass the saying that is written, Isaiah, death is swallowed up in victory. And then he quotes Hosea. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your what? Sting. He calls to mind a day when we as believers in Jesus Christ will taunt death itself because death itself will be swallowed up and no more. At present, death bites and it stings, doesn't it? It leaves an indelible mark on our bodies and our souls and every time death bites, it stings. But a day is coming when death will be no more. Some people forget that and they live like that. But the biblical hope is a message of resurrection hope that we shall raise and on that day, the sting of death will be no more. It was June 18th of 1998 uh, that a little baby boy was born to a couple in our church. Kevin and Linda, they gave permission to share this. 
June 18th of 1998, that boy who was born to their home. His name was Adam Connor. Adam had a disease so rare, it didn't even have a name. And so Adam Connor was given a number, P-135. And for a year and a half, Kevin and Linda loved their boy. They cared for him. His immune system was frail. And in 1998, Kevin and Linda, with grief, took their boy to Memorial Gardens and they had to bury him with grief and tears. I don't know if you've ever experienced a moment like that when the sting of death bites you. I was riding a bike this week with Kevin and Kevin was telling me about their boy, Adam Connor, and how for many, many months after that, little things would happen and they'd be reminded of their boy, Connor, in tears. Death stings, doesn't it? Death leaves an indelible mark. But this week, as Kevin told me about the sting of death, he also fleshed out that there is a coming hope, right? And I called him yesterday, we talked more. There's a coming hope, a, a hope of resurrection. And And the biblical hope, the biblical hope is that one day the sting of death will be totally done away with. Death will be swallowed up in victory. And on that day, we will gather at the cemetery one last time. And one last time as believers will gather at the cemetery and we're going to put in the ground one last member and that member is death itself. And on the day that death is swallowed up in victory, guess what we're going to be doing on the grave? Here it is. We're going to be dancing on the grave. We will. We're going to dance. And here's what's going to be our victory chant on that day, verse 58, or verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. It will be a day of celebration and joy when death is swallowed up and death loses its sting forever and ever and ever. Some people are totally drunk on today and this is irrelevant and it's boring, but for those of us who have Christ, this is the very hope of eternal life. And all of our priorities are fixed right here in this moment. Here it is. Here's the action step. (laughs) Here it is. It's right in the text, verse 58. This whole passage about some are drunk on today with bad choices, bad friends, bad living, and they forget where we're headed. They forget that our present mortality and our eternal glory is wrapped up in this person called Jesus Christ. And guess what? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who gives us the victory. And then we should all say, so what? Go ahead. Try it again. Paul says, therefore. Here it is. The whole message comes down to the priorities of life. Paul says, in light of all of this resurrection news, here's therefore. Here's so what? Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Period. End of sentence. 
It's as if all of life priorities are brought into focus and reoriented. Guess what? Because Christ is risen, we shall too. And because we will be risen eternally with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all of life priorities should fix themselves on this principle. It's a memory verse. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why is it not in vain? Because we shall be raised. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable. By the way, that means totally motionless. What's he talking about? That is, we are not those who are swayed by bad teaching or by earthly priorities or by leisure or recreation. And and when we take part in those things, we do so with the abiding presence of the Lord. We say, thank you, God, that we live in northern Michigan. Thank you. We owe everything to you. We enjoy these things, but we do so under the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? We are not moved. Therefore, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That means overflowing and excessively abounding in God's work. It is for focused. We have intensity. There's things that we, that we apply ourselves to. There's priorities we give ourselves to. We commit ourselves to the local church. We commit ourselves to a small group of fellowship with other believers where we can encourage, we We're dedicated to use our spiritual gifts for his glory. We we attend church. We encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. We do all of these things. We dedicate time and resources and energy and passion. Why? Because we are steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and we know our labor in the Lord is not in vain. That is the good news, the hope of resurrection. So let me ask you, where in life do your priorities need to change? What friends do you need to depart? What choices do you need to correct? Uh, How could you better use time and resources for the kingdom of God? Where could you, here's a good one, where could you downsize earthly possessions out of necessity to give your heart greater margin and greater room to glorify God in heaven? That's not a cram down. It's a practical outworking of this passage. Where do you love this world too much? Where do earthly priorities have their hold on you? And where could this message propel action so that you are steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? Why don't you bow your heads? What is your action step? Take 30 seconds right now, think of those questions. Paul says, wake up from your drunken stupor. Do not go on sinning. Paul calls attention to your mortality and towards eternal glory. Where is it that you need to make a course correction when it comes to earthly priorities? What a great message to Reflect upon the great hope of the resurrection that death will lose its sting. Death will be swallowed up. And there's coming a day of eternal glory when we all get to heaven. (laughs) What a day. What a day of rejoicing that will be. I used to sing this song as a teenager. Maybe you did too. If you know it, why don't you sing with us? When we all get to heaven, What a day of 
rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus we'll sing and shout the victory our father we thank you that uh, we can say along with this passage uh, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord thank you for the coming day when death is swallowed up the sting of death will be cut away forever uh, where the young men like Adam Connor will rise again and so shall we and all of this is proven because of the resurrection hope of Jesus Christ we thank you for that eternal hope and that eternal glory we pray Lord that our pursuits and our priorities would be fixed upon the things of eternal matters Help us to use our time and resources wisely. Help us to choose friends wisely. And help all of our pursuits to be oriented around the coming King of glory. Thank you, Lord, for this church, a blessed church. Thank you, Lord, for the hearts of the people here to genuinely pursue the things of God. And, Lord, my prayer for them is that verse of action. I pray that New Hopians would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and help them to know that their labor in the Lord is not in vain. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.